Video, the video store of the mind. I'm Nathan Rohr, formerly of Blockbuster Video, the one near that liquor store on 17th. I forgot the number because I wasn't there very long before that location closed forever, but <laughs> I'm joined as always by Ryan McCullough. Hi there, Ryan here, uh, resident of Calgary, and just finding out that we are like Canada's new Hollywood, right? Like, you always hear about Vancouver and Toronto becoming like the two like hotspots for television shows, right? We get a lot of like type of things but like right mm-hmm. now we have that giant last of us tv show that is being filmed here in hbo oh yeah for hbo it's like yeah. 10 million dollars an episode they're spending on that show uh, uh, all right that's uh, canadian like another zombie show yeah yeah but then next to that like uh we we just had ghost ghostbusters 2 like uh afterlife being filmed afterlife here. and i just yeah. found out today that for the last three months the new Predator film has been filming here in Calgary. Yeah, Dan Trachtenberg has been in in the province, and nobody knew about it until like a couple days ago. Wasn't it like codenamed Skull or yeah, something? Skulls, and then it's like wrapping up in a couple of weeks. Like they they announced that they're filming here after three months of filming here, and then they're done in. A couple well, weeks. then they don't have like Jokers like us showing up trying to trying to see a Predator or something. Very, you know, very true. Very true. anyways, yeah. But hey, uh, Canada's. Hollywood, like, ooh, it's kind of nice. Wait, what is that movie then? Because we're like prairies and like flatlands. Oh, so it's a, like, it's a prequel. Is this you don't small heard this? town? It's a, no, it's a prequel. It's like uh, First Nations, Aboriginal people. Oh, but it's is it on the Predator planet? No, it's on, or it's on it... Earth. It's like the first time. Oh, it's like the first time they ever came to Earth to to uh, hunt us, and it was like them interacting with a First Nations tribe type of thing, like with like a oh, real like, hunters. You, so. Actually, before the pirate ship business yes. that gets Danny Glover his gun, yeah. like like it's okay. there's a possibility it might be cavemen too, like as well. Like there's there's okay. not a lot out there. What Dan Trechenberg's kind of like hinting at is like primordial man in some way, like very very early on. So I'm like in my brain, I'm thinking like a mix between either like uh like wherever like the first man like first type of. Like it's 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 First Nations type tribe with like hunters, or it's like a, a caveman situation where it's like primordial man like hunting type of thing. Okay, so I'm sure like what it what it like is it the nostalgia predators thing we were talking about where it's like well they already have interstellar travel and are super advanced they're using these old weapons because they're cool <laughs> you know but I think like I, this this like shoulder cannon is actually like ancient tech for yes. these predators well, I that's think like it's, us using a sharpened stick yeah like i think yeah. that's what it's proving now is like because it's going to be thousands of years in the past i think okay regardless and so it's like yeah so they've obviously had this technology for quite some time for a weird amount of time yeah huh okay anyway hey predators uh they're from outer space and this is our seventh <laughs> space horror film this is... that we're going to be looking at uh thanks for, for <laughs> thanks for going on this ride through the stars with us dark stars but not the movie dark star instead we're looking at pitch black a film directed by david tui and written by him and the wheat brothers you know ken and jim <laughs> uh it stars vin diesel as richard b riddick but in all fairness it actually is david tui's script though like he, fi- yeah. he finalized it like it's his shooting he, script. he added some things and changed things around yeah. uh but we'll we'll get into some of that uh came out just after valentine's day in the year 2000 uh february 18th it cost 23 million and it made 53.2 uh, 39.2 of that was in the United States and then 14 international. So pretty solid 
yeah, double decent numbers. Double its uh, yeah for like a, a a largely independent movie at the time too. Because like that's I, for years, I just thought this movie was like full on Australian, but it's like an American production shot in Australia. Yes, yeah, yeah, which is most so, productions yeah. now too. So. I guess so. I just assumed a bunch of people were from Australia that weren't. (laughs) So, yeah. But anyway, uh, why don't you tell us the story of Pitch Black? Yes, for sure. A docking pilot, Carolyn Fry, our main protagonist, has a hard decision to make. Her ship is about to crash land on a mysterious planet, and she doesn't think she can pull it off. Not without unloading all the cargo compartments. Carolyn Fry, the protagonist, hesitates as her captain tells her she needs to find a way to land the ship without unloading anything. Carolyn Fry, the lead protagonist, hesitates until she decides she reaches for the lever to unload the last compartment, but she can't. Her captain has jammed the releasing mechanism. Carolyn, the film's protagonist, has to find another way to land the ship without losing the cargo. It's a good thing, too. Because the secret real protagonist of this film is in that cargo hold along with all the other passengers. That's right. Richard B. Riddick, the actual protagonist by the end of this movie, who will go on to many more adventures to come. The same is uncertain for the rest of the people on the ship, though. Pitch Black. Pitch Black, uh, which opens with some like voiceover narration from Riddick, yeah. but is that a director's cut thing? That I don't... Uh, yeah, Nathan... Nathan and I had a I, – I had an option to watch the theatrical cut, but in my mind okay. when I picked the director's cut, I was like, well, Nathan will watch the theatrical cut because that's what you prefer. I really wanted to, but like the ones available for rental online were the unrated director's cut, so I just kind of went with that yeah. by default. And so I watched – so neither of us watched the actual theatrical cut, even though I, I could Which is too bad because I'm assuming that's what I actually saw like 20 years ago. Yes. <laughs> on tv or whatever but oh you saw you saw saw this on tv for the first time i think so yeah so i was also like wondering back on like what i saw because it might have been edited for content too well you did i sent you that article that broke down all the differences oh sure like the actual changes no but i mean like edited for content like for superstation or something oh that's what you can they can they show like a eaten skeleton corpse thing or whatever like gotcha gotcha sure. but that the over narration probably it would tell you if it, it was in the opening type of sure thing. yeah um yeah anyways it's uh i actually saw this in theaters after forever seeing trailers for it and thinking that this was gonna be like a really cheap dumb space movie which in mm-hmm. all fairness at this time this is the year that supernova came out like we were and like Battlefield Earth. Oh, was... yeah, just a month month out from Supernova existing. Yeah, right. and like wasn't yeah. Battlefield Earth in two thousand well, or two thousand one? Oh, I think it was the year two thousand. Yeah, so yeah. There, this was a bad year for yeah, it was, and it was May two thousand as well. So this was a bad year for space films. Like this was a bad summer for space films. And so like mm-hmm. all of a sudden, Pitch Black, and you see the trailers, you're like, oh, this is gonna be just like all the others. And then the critics came around, and it was actually like well liked like mm-hmm. wasn't t- torn apart and people were liking it. So I actually went and saw in theaters and I walked away being like, Oh, that was 
much better than I thought it was going to be. Like I was thought it was I thought it was going to be like an alien ripoff with bad space stuff. Sure, it kind of got to be a bit of a sleeper hit maybe. And then in contrast to these bad films around it, it sure looks a lot better. <laughs> it sure <laughs> maybe looks so much better. Oh like, my goodness. Like it's super funny too cuz like we're just coming off a movie with like a blue sun and everything and this yeah. movie totally has a blue sun too, but I think to much greater effects oh, yeah. of like oh, I'm on like I'm in, I'm in an alien desert. Yeah. I'm not just in Australia. No, exactly. <laughs> you know? Well, and on top of it, like, they they did a different thing on making things look orange and, and blue. They, like, actually treated the yeah, film. Yeah, there's multiple suns on this planet. Yeah. So but they actually, it's like, oh, one sun setting, and now the blue sun comes up, yeah. and everything changes. And so it changes for, like, the film. Minute. But it's like, they did the thing that um, Soderbergh did for Traffic, right? Where Traffic also had, like, it went back and forth between the orange and the blue. Oh, green. different filters. Yeah. yeah they yeah. did the same thing for this one, which, like, that works. What, what they did in Supernova, which was just lighting a room, did not work. Like... It was, yeah, yeah. Yep. Blue, like blue light is an awful light most of the yeah, time. I don't light. really enjoy it, uh, but yeah, it's it, they're outdoors in big spacious places, so it doesn't really look as dingy and weird yeah. as, as the last movie we looked at. No, that's for for um, sure. But yeah, I actually forgot this whole story with Carolyn's decision to jettison all the passengers. I forgot that was like a component of the story of just like she almost killed everybody. <laughs> like, like she, she just legit, almost bailed on Yeah, and like her the whole There's crew. even a moment where like she almost like she decides to do the right thing cuz her captain's yelling at her like don't you dare use like get rid of the next compartment and she's like fine. I'm going to try to make it work. And then she's like, screw it, I can't make it work. And she re- reefs on the she things. She pulls on this, like, kill everybody button. And but the captain, he it's is... It's like the captain anticipated that and, like, jammed it up yeah. with some debris or something. Exactly. Like he, it made it so made it, couldn't, sure it, like, it couldn't shut or something like that. So it would, like, the failsafe would come into place. So anyways, he saves yeah. all the passengers, um, which she ends up then just crash landing more horrifically. And the captain ends up dying. Uh, in the crash landing instead of her. Yeah, so, get some rebar thus being chest br- or something. Be, like, the thing about this movie was fascinating is, like, she actually is, like, the whole movie is about her journey to become redeemed because we open with her making a choice that we think is pretty horrific. Like, she's going to kill all these people just so that she can survive. Yeah, her and maybe one other dude will be fine. Like, the pilots of a commercial jet airliner. Yeah. Are just like you know what? Screw these passengers. <laughs> we're jettisoning the. <laughs> like it's we're like taking the escape. It's pod. like yeah, you're you're on like a commercial flight, and like as soon as anything bad happens, the pilots are like, okay, let's go get these. Let's go get these air. Uh, get these parachutes. parachutes. And jump out of this thing, and everyone's like, what? <laughs> what? What just happened? What do we pay tickets for? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's crazy. So the captain's like actually a cool dude. So that she just like starts off on this journey of like having to redeem herself and wrestle through this idea of like she's getting to know these survivors and working together and. Finding out, like, oh, these are people. Like, these are people that I almost killed. Yeah. And so, yeah. I don't well, because they're all in, like, cryo sleep, so they barely registered her as, like, anything for the first bit. Yeah. And then, yeah, you kind of have your, like, motley crew of survivors, like a disaster movie or something. Like, uh, there's the old guy with sarcophagus full of wine <laughs> you know classic well, he's an uh, you antiques know, character collector. trope yeah he's like a british yeah. antiques collector he reminds me of uh jonathan from the mummy series okay yeah like yeah. remember her her uh rose's brother like oh. he's kind of like oh yeah he's yeah, like yeah. not really ca- physically capable and he likes the niceties of life and he's always wanted i want to say his name's rupert but i don't know that no his name's jonathan fits. in the show 
Okay. I just said, yeah, it's Jonathan. That's not, not John, but okay. He's not John. Yeah. He's Jonathan. Sorry. Evelyn's okay. Evelyn's brother. Um, yeah, oh. he's Jonathan. Uh, he has that vibe of like, yeah, like he's, he's because he's defending himself with this like long Egyptian type of pole weapon. And that's what he's using. Man, I feel bad. Like, some people I remember the characters' names, and some I totally don't. Like, it's just Keith David and his crew. (laughs) (laughs) Like, he's got, like, three disciples or, like, people on a pilgrimage with him. Yes. Like, young young guys. Uh, So his name is is Abu. Is it really? It's Ayman. Okay. Ayman. Yeah, but his name is Abu Ayman Al-Walid. Okay. So. Uh, so yeah, him and his three young pilgrims are on their way to New Mecca uh, via spaceship. So I don't know what planet it's on, yes. but I thought that was kind of neat. Uh, to counterpoint him, you got Zeke, the atheist, <laughs> yes. who uh, has a tough time of things in this story, uh, which made me kind of sad. But well, that's okay. and so what's like what's what's well done about this movie is like there's so long where we're just they're establishing that it, it kind of feels like a survival film. Like here they crash land on this planet. They're trying to figure out where they are. They're trying to figure out how they can like get off this planet, and and then they realize, and while at the same time figuring out where they are, like what what's going on. Like it looks like a giant desert. And there's no water. They there's two suns setting, and it's always bright time. There's no darkness, which mm-hmm. works out for them. Um, and then it start and like I don't know. Like I think I think that David did a really good job setting up like subtle things that like dominoes to line up for when the reveal is that they're they're like right before this giant eclipse like this year-long eclipse yeah no the they've landed at a very bad time on this planet yeah. which i thought was really odd but uh but like but yeah, like the, they 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 remove the curtains that starts the machine like the solar panels from running so they can learn this information like i just felt like there's there's subtle ways that he wasn't it wasn't just like they sat down at the computer and read it all it was like they were setting up these pieces a lot of these times in these movies like somebody just sits down on a computer and reads a, a log from the previous person. And they're like, and in that log, it's like one big exposition of like what's happening on this planet. And we get like some creative way of finding out this movie kind of doesn't have that. It just has like little hints until they realize clues and what's happening. Puzzle it yeah. Together. Yeah. Uh, they do find this abandoned kind of station, yeah. uh, which has water at least, which solves that problem. Uh, and yeah, it's all solar and wind powered and stuff. So, oh, before we got to that though, there was a, a scene I quite liked where they're looking through like binoculars and see some trees on the horizon yes. that they're all excited about. Yeah. And then once they get to these trees, uh, it's just a dead giant dinosaur thing. Yeah, and rib it's cage. like spines it's a, yeah. look like that. It was this rib cage yeah. type of thing that they're walking through. Like an elephant graveyard is what they common. Compare it yeah. to, yeah. So there's all these like giant land mammals or something that just died here, yeah. Uh, and they don't really get why, but yeah, there's well, um, they eventually get why, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so okay, question for you: like, we kind of we talked a little bit before the podcast about subsequent Riddick films, but what did what did you think of this one? Like, you, it's been a while since you've seen Pitch, Pitch Black. It's been so long since I saw Pitch Black that I, yeah, I kind of forgot how prominent Riddick is in this. I thought I remembered him as being kind of like a third wheel or like more deep in the cast than he is. Like this movie very much is interested in him. Yeah, it seems like with the opening narration stuff from his point of view, uh, which 
yeah, seems like maybe added in retrospect or something. Like it, it, it could be. Quite he he doesn't right. he doesn't really play a lead role until about the thirty forty minute mark. Because that's just when like, he first starts like speaking and is a part of it, the story. Exactly. Because like, yeah. he's just like a uh, like running around. He's escaped. Well. Yeah, one of the first, like, dilemmas for the crew is just, like, hey, that, like, escaped convict we have, like, on the, on the plane, he's out there. He's going to kill us. Like, that. that's the first thing they're worried about is getting stabbed by this crazy person. Yeah. Uh, until they realize there's something worse on this planet is kind of his, his like, yeah, cause, like Zeke, or whatever. Yeah, because, like, Zeke, <laughs> there's this great scene. Where and it's great in that like terrible way. So like there's they're really I found freaked the scene out. Very interesting. Yeah. Like it's like has to be this way because of the story, but it's so bad. So there's this way. scene yeah. where they're freaked out because Riddick is running around and they don't know what he's up to, and then they one of the crews of people that are investigating hear somebody coming up to them. So she's freaking out. She's grabbed this weapon and goes around the corner and boom is being like oh there's somebody there but it's not Riddick it's a survivor who crashed who fell out of the pod or something like that and then he's walked this whole way to find other survivors and then he's so happy to see them and then boom he gets blasted like five times in the back by Zeke yeah. who thinks it's Riddick and he just kills this guy and then you're like oh th- that's crazy and nobody cares like nobody seems to care that this guy just got murdered by Zeke at all yeah no i thought you were talking about the scene like a few minutes later where zeke is just investigating a cave well no no that's and that's what leads to it so zeke then takes it on himself to go bury this guy he he dug a hole to find water so he's going to go bury this dead guy that he killed that he murdered he went he goes and finds this hole and then in this hole that he dug looking for water he sees that there's a cave like that wasn't there before so he goes down and he's looking because, again, they're looking for water, which you have to dig to find water. He goes mm-hmm. and looking what's what's in this hole and then Zeke is eaten. Well, okay. Yes, Zeke is eaten. But I felt like that they play it in this weird way with like scrambly editing in that scene to make it kind of like, did Riddick kill him or was it a creature? Like there's like. Oh, I thought it was very of... clear that Riddick didn't kill him because Riddick is there watching it happen. But it's like. It's obfuscated just a little bit to make it, like, conceivable that a character would walk up on the scene and think maybe Riddick had something to do with yes. it. Yes. Oh, yes. Like, he, the way that yeah. he was killed made it, like, seem like somebody, like, to somebody else that Riddick had, like, completely Like, there's, like, him. some blood, and then a person looks up and sees Riddick, and Riddick goes, ooh, and, like, runs away. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like, that guy probably murdered that dude, yes. Zeke. You know, yes. But Riddick, Riddick actually saw what happened using his yeah. uh, special eyesight and he could see what's actually happening. And so he's now knows what's going on in this planet. And yeah, it takes the rest of the characters a few more beats. Like, uh, Carolyn is investigating a cave. Yes. And is climbing around down there. And then she, her like strap gets grabbed by one of these like night. Gecko yes. Things. And she has to like escape through like some pretty precarious, precarious means of like climbing up through this, cave because there's in the in the cave there's darkness and so the big thing about this movie is it's like it's like uh the these creatures um are like they die in in light so darkness is their friend the thing that they come out with type of thing um mm-hmm. it's i don't know it it gave me like there's parts of this movie that gives me like tremors vibes because it's like graboids were blind 
but they have other senses that are, like are heightened. So like these things sure. have their and limitations. And then they're subterranean or yeah. whatever. These things have yeah. like their like their, their they have their abilities, but they also have their weaknesses. Um, mm-hmm. Which is different than alien because alien movie aliens don't really have weaknesses. Like they actually are like formidable. I, what is their eyesight situation? They see, or are they? They fully yeah, see. Okay. We, I mean, like, I do they not just have like sensor things on their heads? I don't like, think we I'm ever get really... into it. Like, I've always kind of wondered if their whole head is one giant eye because it has that like fluorescent, like sure look to it. You just never really see someone like poke one in the oh, eye. Oh, that's not true. We know, <laughs> you know for a fact from Alien Three, there's that heads up camera shot. I mean, there's a POV of something, but, but it what? is of it is of the alien chasing after the people. Right, so it it seems to convey that they perceive things in a pretty straightforward yes. manner. But yeah, okay. So it's my, not like predator yeah. vision or whatever. Exactly. So like I don't know, like the these things have their limitations, which is bright, not right. light. When we get first person views of what these things are quote seeing, it's like this weird sonic vision kind of thing, yeah. like echolocation, like a bat or something. But then they also, and Riddick finds this out, they have a because they have this weird T shape to their head, like it looks like a big plus sign. Um, yeah. Riddick finds a, a blind spot right in the middle. If he gets close enough to their face, he can like put himself right in the middle of their nose, and they can't quite make out his face. Like he finds like he finds like a a weird triangle where they can't see him. Yeah, they don't have a sensor array right below their mouth. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So which wouldn't normally be where you want to be, but it turns out it's actually a pretty good spot so. until it's until uh, <laughs> it's immediately not a good spot when another one shows up. When there's two of them. Yes. Uh, but yeah. Uh, I guess we should get into Riddick's uh, special abilities, which seems to mostly be his eyesight, but he's also pretty strong and dislocates his arms a bunch. Yeah, so (laughs) I think what they, the movie, this movie specifically, so we could easily talk about Riddick, the bigger lore of Riddick, because the subsequent films that come out in the Chronicles of Riddick movies kind of like expand upon Riddick's mythology as a person. Mm -hmm. But if we're watching just Pitch Black, Riddick is a, a convict of Earth who has polished eyesight, is a very like skilled fighter and killer, and can physically do many things that you and yeah. I, t- a typical person, couldn't, but he could. Sure. But he's not uh, inhuman in any way, I would say. They don't, they don't get into that, which really surprised me in this movie because I've only seen this movie once before and I've seen Chronicles a couple times. So my perception of him was he was an alien of some kind yeah. or had some sort of special like powers inherent to his person. Yeah, like the only uh, references to alien worlds in this movie are like Earth. Like it's like we're on an alien planet, but they keep talking about Earth, like Egyptian. Well, Earth and its colonies maybe. But they also like, like worlds. the the English dude, he it's all Egyptian stuff he has. Oh yeah, I don't really I don't really know why anyone was on an interstellar voyage <laughs> cuz like unless New Mecca's on another planet, they're like why were you guys unless they live on some far distant moon and they're going back to Earth yeah. or something. That's what I'm know? trying to say like it's like even with its if it's New Mecca, what is east when you get into outer space? Because like that's know. the thing is like Mecca you always pilgrimage east. Yeah, he has his like his prayer mat yeah. and they they were doing that, but I'm not well, really Well, they were sure. doing it in a circle. So it's actually kind of interesting that they chose to do it that way because typically on in they always point east here, right? On Earth type of thing, all uh, Muslims will put their mat and they'll pray towards the east because that's where Mecca is. 
Oh, in our country, I guess. Well, no, yeah, anywhere in the world, you can point east and it still goes to the same spot. Eventually. Yes. Okay. Is that the logic? I thought I thought it'd be like you have to kind of know where you are compass-wise and then you... I, I thought I thought it was just praying to these. I mean, I could be 100% wrong, but they played it east, yes, in Canada. Okay. Um, they were praying in a circle uh, mm. on that on that planet. So that must mean that they, they were... They located where New Mecca was in space, and they prayed up to it, type of thing. Maybe. So, anyways, but, yeah, Keith but all these people are I've, very. I'd forgotten he was in the first one. Yeah, <laughs> I knew he was in the second one, but he's very prominent here uh, as one of our, you know, most wily survivors. Uh, but, hmm. Okay, I, getting back to the 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 story, like Riddick is not a threat past the first little bit. He has to team up with these guys, although. His, like, uh, antagonist in this movie is the bounty hunter Johns. I'm going to call him a bounty hunter. Yes. Uh, he's a mercenary slash, like, he fronts like he's a cop or law enforcement in some way, but he's not official. Um, I mostly remember this character's name from the video games. I think they talk about him in those. I do actually uh, want to get into this, but I want to talk about, at some point I want to talk about the video games. Um they're pretty key to this big media wave that happened in like 2002, 2003. Yeah. Around but we'll Chronicles. get in, we'll get into it. Cause I, I think there's, well, let's talk about pitch black. Cause I feel like we need to talk about pitch black and then we can go on and talk about Riddick, the extended universe. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, okay. Like Riddick teams up with the crew. They find out there's these monsters. Uh, then they also find out that they're about to enter a super eclipse. That's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, it happens once every 22 years, so they chose an amazing weekend <laughs> to land here because uh, it's about to happen. There's kind of this – they call it an orrery in the trivia. I was just calling it an astrolabe, but it's like, you know, this uh, clock that has the suns and the planets. And if you set it to 22, it becomes clear that they're going to be in trouble. Uh, <laughs> so – the main like dilemma that takes place is they need batteries for this spaceship they found at the colony. Yep. Uh, and they need to go back to their crashed ship to get them. And they have almost no time to accomplish that before night falls. Mm -hmm. And they get stuck out in the darkness, like miles away from where they want to be. And a lot of the final stuff is them traversing the desert at, in pure blackness surrounded by like monster bat things while trying to carry four giant batteries giant batteries that uh, one person landscape. would have a tough time carrying they establish yeah. so yeah so i i really lost a plot beat in this moment like i thought they were still trying to get back to the car uh no no <laughs> they, they had the, they have the car the problem is that everything on this planet because and it makes sense for when you consider the technology because it's every 43 years right am i getting this wrong no, it's 22 years. 22 years. Every 22 years that there's this year-long, very long extended uh, eclipse. Well, 22 whatever years are on this planet. Yes. <laughs> but, um, yeah. But the big thing is, like, all because there's so much sun all the time, they base all their technology upon solar energy. Which is smart. Which is smart. It's a good idea. Especially if you're colonizing, right? Like, you want to have, like, free, like, uh, renewable energy. But the problem is that because everything's based upon this all everything shuts down so like they have a car to traverse back and forth to take batteries mm -hmm. with them but then they realize oh this thing won't run because there is no more sunlight so 
Well, at that point, too, I thought they were going to use the batteries they found to power the car. So I was still kind of like mystified for a bit as to why it was taking them so long to find their car in the dark. <laughs> I was just like, how far are they walking? Like, didn't they just park right near the ship? What is happening? And then it was like, no, no, they're walking the entire distance back to the base. Like, it's miles and miles. Oh, <laughs> like, I just was like, when are we getting to the car? Like, what's <laughs> what's going on? And I, I think it was just like fuzzy memory and then me conflating like the hordes of like weird creatures with a thing in Gears of War 2. Yes. Where, like, which wait, wait which creatures? Because I, I got great I got Gears of War 2 vibes from Chronicles of Riddick when I watched it. Well, there's like the flying bat form of these yes. things. Yeah, the, the and larva version. Yeah, like so there's just big clouds of these creatures that'll kill you if you're not in They light. remind you of the krill, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a sequence where you're actually driving a car with like big spotlights on it. Yes. And I was like, I think that happens in this movie. <laughs> yes. And it just is like that doesn't that doesn't happen. Like I thought they'd well, be no, it like, doesn't happen in this movie, this but there beacon. is like there are like when I was playing uh, Gears of War with you and we played that level where like you would drive and I would spotlight the krill in the sky. The cre- creatures? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I think they were called the krill, weren't they? I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was like, oh, this is Pitch Black. Like they literally, the creators of yeah, this movie. Yeah, they took a beat from Pitch Black and wanted to drive that vehicle in the darkness. Because like there's this know? great scene and it kills you very similarly in the game as they do in the movie because in the movie they come and they kind of like just slice at you as they fly past you and you get cut up in them because that main, mm-hmm. the, one of the main characters that survivors gets killed because she gets up too quickly to go running to safety and they just swipe past you and their whatever razors are cutting you up. It's the same thing with like what happens in gears of war. They swarm past you and you get sliced up like crazy type of thing. Yeah. So they actually like lift her upper half away in a big cloud yes. of wings and everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas Riddick lies prone and is fine. Yes. Well, uh, he, he makes the choice that he knows that they're coming back around, that he's going to wait for the beat type mm-hmm. of thing to take his shot to run. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. Riddick also has kind of like a fan of his on this planet <laughs> named Jack. Named Jack. Yes. <laughs> There's definitely a character named Jack who, uh, when, when we meet them they're they have short hair. And uh, wear like very baggy clothes and stuff and things like that. And then Riddick shows up on the scene, and the next time we see Jack, Jack has shaved their head and is starting to wear their own version of the goggles that Riddick is wearing yeah. through this movie. And it's kind of adorably hilarious that Riddick has yeah. like this like little kid as a fan. And Riddick, I appreciate that like Riddick, who is like we kind of get trumped up as like a pure monster by the uh, bounty hunter guy. Um, John's, John's yeah John's does not p- paint a nice picture of Riddick yeah but John like but Riddick seems to like have a soft spot for Jack that like like he he sees what Jack's doing and is like like he scares Jack one moment but then he's like come on kid let's get going type of thing like in a in a way that intimidates Mentory yeah kind of way, intimidates sure. him but at the same time is like still being like hey don't this isn't a thing between us Right, and I guess talking to Jack is where this story about the shine job comes up in the story, which I was really, like, I didn't have a lot of solid memories of this movie, but I was really thrown off by this plot beat that he he drops, where it's like... In the larger Riddick mythology, Riddick is a Furion, who uh, every now and again, Furions create people that, if they're chosen or they're special, they'll have some innate abilities like speed, strength... 
uh, agility and like eyes that allow you to see in the dark. Uh, Riddick doesn't know this about himself yet in Pitch Black. So when he, they're like, how do I get... So when Jack asks, how can I get glass like uh, eyes like that? Riddick kind of spins this short little story of like, go to a few slammers, find the right doctor, pay them enough uh, something. I forget what they says. And they'll, what their currency is. Yeah, yeah, and then they'll they'll shine your eyes for you type of thing. That's what he right. says. Which I just took that as fact. And I guess at this point in the year 2000, this probably was their lore. So this is the thing about this. Doing yeah, this. this is the thing about this movie is like I could totally see the the brothers, like the Wheat brothers. This movie doesn't have – like has Riddick as a secondary character. Like who, mm-hmm. who becomes – is a supporting character to Carolyn Fry. Like Carolyn Fry from the movie standpoint, like I know it, it opens with narration from Vin Diesel, but like Carolyn Fry from the very first beginning, like it's her character's arc that goes through this whole entire film, and that doesn't actually yeah. change. Riddick doesn't. He his only like real arc comes at the very very end where he has to make a choice at the very end where Carolyn makes choices throughout the whole time about what. Yeah, how she's I be. mean he has to contend with Johns and his kind of jerkishness. Yeah, but, but then when that, Johns that's... gets taken off the plate, Riddick is free to do whatever he wants. And then in the third right. act, he has to make a choice about what he it's wants like, to hey, do. like, hey, are you going to be a selfish convict that John said you were, or are you going to, like, step up and yeah. grow a but little bit? But again, that's still something. Caroline's yeah. arc happening. Yeah. I think the yeah. Wheat Brothers had Caroline as the main character. And when David Tui came up, he was like, there's something about this Riddick character. I might be able to do something with him. And he made Riddick into the main character. And then subsequently while filming the story goes that they changed the ending while filming yeah like between like i think vin enjoyed playing the character and david tui saw creative possibilities with him so yeah they kind of altered what was going on to potentially franchise uh, riddick which would happen which would happen uh, yes in fascinating yeah. so have you heard this story that uh so Vin, he he goes on to do this movie next year. He does uh, his probably his biggest movie ever, like his biggest franchise, Fast and Furious. Mm-hmm. He leaves the franchise after the first movie, and then he comes back for a short cameo at the end of the third film, like Tokyo Drift. Oh yeah, yeah. Did you hear about his payment for Tokyo Drift? Was it the you you told me this? It's the rights to this character, yeah. right? So he yeah. he was like Universal's like, hey, we we can't get Paul Walker. Can you at least come do a cameo to tie off the end of this film? And he was like, yeah, sure, but I don't want to get paid for this. I want you to give me the rights to the Riddick character, which at this point it was like two thousand six, right? Oh yeah, like Tokyo Drift. Yeah, yeah. So Riddick uh, Chronicles of Riddick would have come and gone. Chronicles of Riddick was not a huge success. It cost a lot of money. It was pretty expensive yeah yeah for, especially yeah. for a movie uh, in like a pretty independent 2004 film um it didn't make a lot of money so universal's kind of like hey we don't really want to do this property anymore so they're like yeah sure we'll give you this character uh for payment so he got the rights to this riddick universe so now okay. vin diesel owns this riddick character because of Fanta- fast and furious but then he went on to join the fast and furious movies again properly in four and mm-hmm. Those movies are now it like that's all there is is Fast and Furious films. Yeah, it's all it comes out. No, they're gigantic, but I kind of enjoy his enthusiasm for this character. Yes. Like it's it's to me probably the real like Dominic is a guy that oh, drives cars calls, in a movie. Nobody calls him Dominic. Like what are Good you? Good old Dominic, doing? you know. Like that's the first movie. Uncle He's Dom. Dominic Toretto in the first movie. Every subsequent yeah. he is Dom. Like he is 
Dom. Okay, Dom. sorry. I call him Dominic, but yeah, fine. I like that you're, uh, you're on that you're on that level with him. He's like, yeah, I call him Dominic. That's fine. Yeah, Richard Riddick, I, I think, is really the defining Vin Diesel. <laughs> Although, <laughs> his name being Richard, something about that alliteratively sounds really weird to me. Richard P. Diddick? Like, Riddick? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I almost tripped on uh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, because it's, it's so Riddick, Riddick has a R and a Dick in it, and Dick is R- short R- for R- Dick is short yeah. for Richard. So it's Dick, yeah, Dick B. Riddick. Riddick. <laughs> if he wanted to be a private eye yeah, or something. Yeah, Rick B. Riddick. Oh, man. Um, that would be a – it is definitely a solid name, and it's a name that doesn't really quite – like Richard as a name doesn't match this character at all. It's not like the most sci-fi, Furian-sounding <laughs> no. name. Yeah. Riddick is like a solid name, and why I think they named the third film just Riddick because it was like, oh, okay, cool. This is just about Riddick. But Richard's not yeah. a name that he ever goes by. Like No, and them, them going with Chronicles in the second one is – like almost too fantastical or fantasy based. Oh, sounding. the the second movie. I so I just watched the second movie after watching Pitch Black because I felt like you know watching these movies again, and yeah. it is tonally so different from one movie to the next. It is like it's, I, I saw it within the last year. Yeah, it is. It is ambitious and audacious oh, yeah. in a way I admire. Yes, but yeah, like the sets alone are like wow. This is like they actually built this giant lava planet. They built this like giant throne room for the necromancers like it's like what is judy dench's deal is she a, a she's furian a, no no she's not a furian she is uh elemental well she's almost ghost-like yeah right? she's an elemental so she's like a wind type of elemental so if wind blows through her, it blows through her she's like um, okay in this universe she's like an elder of the universe like she can see things some grand wizard or something, something. like that she can see like yeah. probabilities of things shaping out so Colm Fiore's character really cares about her opinion because she's the one that told Colm Fiore that like the only way that he's going to take over the world and turn it into the Underverse is if all the Furians are dead because there's this like prophecy that a Furian will rise up and take him down. So he goes and kills, single-handedly kills all the Furian babies except for Riddick. Like he leaves Riddick to live, which seems well. Riddick doesn't even know he's a Furian. Yes, but like there's this there's this weird memory scene where. I don't know. It might not only be in the director's cut, but there's this weird memory scene where a Furian keeps visiting Riddick in his dreams, and she's like, "Remember who you are," type of thing. And the, it goes to this flash of like he's obviously a baby in his carriage, and Comfior walks in and like decides not to kill him and walks out, type of thing. What? Okay. Yeah. No, they definitely <laughs> throw a bunch more lore into the stew in the second one, oh, yeah. and. Hey man, I like, don't know. There's some like that that lava planet escape scene is like 15 minutes and it is solid. Like that uh, the crematorium, the prison escape, yeah, the prison escape, okay. like where they're running through and things are getting hotter as they go. It's like a pretty solid set piece. Like I'm, I was enjoying that whole sequence quite a bit. Okay. So. And then yeah, that that movie's existence kind of precipitated the creation of a video game, uh, yeah. Escape from Butcher Bay, which th- this movie references. Like, like yeah. he's like they're taking him to crematorium, and he's going through all the places. Like, here's all the places that would take me, and he's like, "You don't want to go to Butcher Bay because you know I can break out of that place." Type of thing comment he makes. And yeah, yeah. So it's kind of the Great Escape or something, but you're playing as Riddick in first person, and it's a pretty cool game. Uh, Star Breeze Studios, uh, they would make a follow-up to that called Dark Athena uh, in, when it was ported to the Xbox 360. Yeah. And it, both of these are kind of just about Riddick breaking out of super prisons. 
uh, which is cool. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, it, there was kind of definitely this effort to broaden the Riddick universe. And, like, there was an animated movie. There Was there comics? Like, I'm, I'm not really sure how far this went. There was an anime, but... there was an anime uh, called Dark Fury, which came in my box set and i don't like it that much the animation's not amazing not that great um okay but yeah it was like it, it was a big push uh the the escape from butcher bay is like a well-regarded game right like people oh yeah it reviewed extremely well back in its day and had pretty alarmingly good graphics for the original xbox yeah. like it was it was pretty impressive yeah so at it, the time. there was like a real real legitimate push to make this into like a giant franchise um yeah and with with like to be fair like I look back and I'm like watching Chronicles of Riddick. I'm like, this is an interesting universe. I would have liked to have seen a direct sequel from this movie. And uh-huh. with the tie-in stuff, like the video game being as popular as it was, it's weird that it didn't get carried forward. The thing I find odd about the shift was like, I, I probably saw a TV edit of uh, Pitch Black back when I first saw it. Watching it now, it's like a pretty cursy movie. Yeah. <laughs> like they're, they're enjoying their R-rated dialogue in here. Yeah. And like that pivot to softening it to PG-13 for the sequel yes. isn't great. I, I don't know. I totally agree with you because I watched it in theaters and I was like, this PG-13 movie is nothing. But then I just watched it again, the director's cut again. Like I went and watched David Toohey's and it's R-rated. Like he, the first thing he says in his narration, there's like an F-bomb dropped. Okay. So it's like... I just remember like in the in the original cut, there's still the thing where it's like, I'm going to kill you with this teacup or whatever. But he can't like savagely shiv a guy the way you want. Yeah. In a in a PG thirteen movie, like, there's so. a lot of like shiving, like stabbing knives at, into people, but it's through armor, and then there's no blood. Like you gotta remember, like the Comfior, his big death scene is literally a giant knife through his head goes in him, and then yeah, he yeah. snaps the blade in his brain. Like that that yeah. still happens in the PG thirteen. That's a pretty great kill it's a gnarly scene. thing that happens but he kind of like phases into the knife so you don't really get like a like with like a squib or blood no or there's anything. no blood for sure but again i think that's just the the pg-13ness of it all or yeah or you could write it into the lore of their weird undead like creature things that they are <laughs> i don't know the summer of 2004 was like a weird summer like i remember it having some some of the best summer movies of all time uh like, because you had, that was like Harry Potter and the uh, Prisoner of Azkaban came out that summer, which is like, that's like Alphonse, Alfonso Cuaron's film. Mm-hmm. And like, that was Spider-Man 2 summer type of thing. Oh, okay. Like, which, yeah, the Spider-Man they got right. Yeah. And they, it was like <laughs> yeah. Shrek 2 came out that summer, which like, again, Shrek 2 is like one of the best sequels of a movie of all time type of thing, right? Like, this was a big summer when it comes to like really good sequel movies were coming out. Um, mm-hmm. and then right in the middle of all of this was, was this movie. And like, I just don't think people knew what to do with it. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it was definitely a big swing from universal, but I'm not really sure it went the way they wanted. No, I would say uh, would hence why Vin was able to get the rights back to it, which is at least he cares about it. I, I don't know. He keeps making these weird kind of things that I, I'm amused by their existence, like Last Witch Hunter and like Bloodshot or whatever, yeah. but I'm not seeing these. Uh, oh, I can so. even go through. Man, I just opened it up. This is even bigger than I realized. This was a summer. Okay. Like Mean Girls came out, which was a huge comedy. Uh, Dodgeball came out. Fahrenheit 9-11, which was like a huge documentary. Like that was 
Mm-hmm. Uh, ben, no, it was a high-grossing documentary, yeah. which is weird. Ben Helsing came out this this summer. Uh, Born Supremacy. That is a film that does exist. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> Born Supremacy came out this summer and kind of like solidified the Born movies as like like next level action films. Just like wanting to make you nauseous, however they can. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like man, this was a killer summer because Collateral came out this summer was a number one movie. Village came out this summer was a number one movie. Uh, that's the thing. I'm looking through this entire summer, and Chronicles of Riddick came out this summer and literally didn't rank as a number one film. I don't think it was number one at the box office. The weekend it came out? Yeah. Oh, man. I think it might have been like okay. Spider-Man 2 was number one for two weekends, and I think that was the weekend that it came out. Yeah, I could see that. So, yeah, it's just one of those things. I feel bad. It, it actually was. Yeah, Spider-Man 2. It came out. So, Spider-Man 2 came out July 4th. It was number one. And then July 11th, Riddick was came out, and Spider-Man was still number one. So, hmm. yeah. And actually, I know which one I saw in theaters, and it was Spider-Man 2. <laughs> so. Oh, no, sorry. I'm wrong. No, no. It was uh, Harry Potter. Harry Potter was number one, and then it was... I, I got the, the month wrong. Oh, Riddick, okay. Riddick lost to Harry Potter 3 type of ah. thing. So, which is, again, wow. makes sense because it's, it's Harry Potter. So... Sorry, Riddick. Yeah. Just chose a bad year for debuting your giant, ambitious thing. Maybe just the bad summer, like, because the fall. Like, I guess this is before, really, like, September was seen as, like, a legitimate October. A was viable seen. release window. I'm looking at yeah. October, and it was, like, the number one movie in October for three weekends was Shark Tale. Mm. Shark Tale was number one for three weekends, and then The dr- the Grudge was number one for two weekends. Eh, that makes sense as an October. I mean, we're talking about Pitch Black in a horror sense because it, it's striving for that to some extent. The subsequent stuff is less so. Yeah, that's fair. Like, it's just a weird sci-fi fable. Uh, but I mean, Shark Tale, more... Shark Tale was three of those weeks in October. Shark... So you're saying that's ripe for being knocked <laughs> off that pedestal? <laughs> exactly, it's Shark Tale. Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, who, nobody cares about Shark Tale anymore. Have you heard Damn, anybody talk Scorsese about... Did voice yes. a character in Shark Tale? 100%. Yeah. But I mean, like, like uh, I guess it was... No, I've, I've heard a lot about Shark Tale in recent years as, like, damaging stereotypes being normalized or something. Like, not in a positive yeah. way. But I mean, like, November, it's it couldn't like, have been released... Why did Italy let this happen? It couldn't have been released yeah. in November because Incredibles came out and the National Treasure. Like, literally speaking, Disney had a number one movie for five weeks in a row because of those two films. Okay. So it just, it, it, it could have come out that year, just it, it wasn't a summer film, which it's was poised to be but anyways it's fine that's the thing i i've I've heard this story about the the second riddick film where david tui and vin diesel were like so confident they had white golds like they had it they had lightning in a bottle like they wrote three screenplays yes you read this you read the same and like walked into the universal office and just like threw down these screenplays that were (laughs) not just locked not just that it was like leather bound like containers locked tomes and then they unlocked at the first meeting they unlocked the first script and they said this is it and then you'll get the next two when you greenlit the first one (laughs) that's what it was yeah (laughs) just said 200 million or something like but here's the thing like you can like you could see where this is coming from like there is potential to this character riddick um vin I'm still like I'm still pretty convinced that Vin, even when like Riddick, like the third film came out, and I think it was 2013, um, mm-hmm. that was still kind of like on the cusp of like Fast and Furious rising to be the biggest franchise out there right now. Because at well, that point, successfully reinvigorated it with like five, and it was on an upswing. Yeah, it was on the so... upswing, but it wasn't at like the heights of seven or eight or nine. 
Like, I feel like if he right. made a Riddick movie now, it would be a fully different beast, right? Like, even, like, Triple X Return of Xander Cage was, like, considered to be a bomb, but it still did bust, gangbusters of money. Right, whereas, like, this first Riddick pitch would have been, like, coming off of Fast and Furious 1 and, like, Not Triple even. X. Yeah, like, exactly. Right? Triple Those two big movies where it was, like, Vin Diesel's going to start in his next big franchise. Yeah, and we're willing to let you finance. Well, and not just that. Vin Diesel's not going to leave the <laughs> franchise because Vin Diesel left the other two, those those two franchises you just said. Vin Diesel left them after one. At movie. that point, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he's he's in on this Riddick. Well, business. and he subsequently came back to all of those, right? Because I just said because even like so. Here's the thing: Triple X Three Return of Xander Cage was made for eighty five million and was considered not a a, a huge success in the US because it only made $45 million off of an $85 million oh. budget. But worldwide, it made 350 Okay. So, like, Vin Diesel's, like, a worldwide, like, that's the... Commodity. Yeah, like, yeah. he his movies make money internationally. So, like, there's still talks of a triple X four happening. I kind of admired the third one for trying to bring it down in scale again yes. to something more manageable. I don't know that I loved it, but it was at least, like... I don't know, solid reasoning or something. It was like, hey, let's get back to some of what Pitch Black had yeah. of just being like a small scenario. I, I feel like need to David Tui needs have to start planet hopping craziness. David Tui needs to start fighting for director's cut, final cut, because again, like I, I agree with you. I saw Riddick in theaters. I was like, oh, this is a solid film. Like uh, it's back to kind of like the basics of Pitch Black. But then when you watch the director's cut and you realize like, no, there's a whole opening sequence where Riddick. Yeah is like he's the king the of the Emperor. necromancers and then he yeah. gets betrayed by Carl Urban's character who comes back after nine years and you're like, oh, this is way more ambitious of a film than okay. it originally was. And they're not just like writing off that second one. It's like, no, it's part of the story. It's part of the chronicle. Yeah, because like the theatrical film has him opening up on this planet and he narrates what happens to him. But like the director's cut shows the whole sequence. I guess getting back to Pitch Black, how did we feel it worked as like a horror movie? Were you oh. wound up by these night monsters or anything? No, like I think uh, horror movie. I don't think it, I, I don't think I would ever classify it as a f- horror film. Um, okay, I mean it seems to kind of be going for that like uh, xenomorph alien type business. To I guess some okay. Extent. I should clarify. I do think it's a horror movie in in classification side of things. I don't think it's scary. Though. Right. Um, I don't think any, I think these creatures never seem like they're really there, uh, but and the, but the sequence are just it's more of a fun movie than I would say it's a scary film, but it would be clarified as like a, I think a science fiction horror film because it's it's got some thriller aspects to it. There's a lot of survival. It's more of a monster movie, and monster movies can be seen as horror films because it's not like mm-hmm. a kaiju action film. It's like they're trying to survive. So it definitely would be classified. Well, they're almost elemental or something. Like, it felt more to me like a disaster movie where it's like, hey, we have, like, ten people in this scenario, like Poseidon Adventure or something. Yeah. Where, like, we have a, a crew of characters that have to get along to get through this. It's just on this planet, the thing that happens is clouds of bat monsters kill you <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, or, like, you know. I guess do you consider Tremors to be a horror film? I just find that to be a fun movie, yeah. but I guess occasionally they're going for like, ah, there's a severed head or yeah. something like that. I mean, so, it is clarified. You know. It is like right now it's it's horror science fiction if you put it into Google type of thing. Right. Like if we were organizing it on the shelves of the video store, we'd probably, I'd probably put it in science fiction 
honestly. But there's no real science to it. Like it still takes There's place spaceships. on spaceships. No, no. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. In pitch black. Yes, I was. I was talking about yeah. tremors there for a second. I was like science fiction. No, no tremors. tremors. Despite the the creatures being weird, I would never put that in sci-fi. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> no, it would be like tremors is like a soft horror film, kind of similar to like yeah. So I would say pitch black has those those type. It has more of those vibes, like tremor vibes, than it does uh, like Alien, which I think Alien does have some scary things going on in it. This movie doesn't mm-hmm. have that many scary things. It has more of an adventure action movie beats. Like, there's some, like, oh, look at this weird alien's head, and it's got big spiky teeth or whatever. Yeah. But it's, you know, all things considered pretty pretty soft about it. Like, there's a couple kills, I guess. Like, it clamps down on that uh, sarcophagus guy's head mm-hmm. and kind of splatches him or whatever. Yeah, like, it's definitely leading it's... into its R-rated nature. But yeah, no, mm. I would, I wouldn't, I was not, I was not scared watching this movie. I wasn't scared the first Actually, time. Actually, probably it. the gnarliest death that happens is that one kid kind of wanders off and stumbles into a dark room mm-hmm. uh, in the coring area or whatever. Yeah. And then when they find his body, like Keith David's digging around, and then this like peeled, bloody skeleton yes, kind of thing falls, falls down thing in front of him. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And yeah. it is a kid that was killed. Yes. It's a kid, yeah. It's it's, and then there's a another kid that he's supervising gets like cut in half by one of their blade heads or whatever. Yeah. But it's kind of CG looking. So that's I that's. As, I think like, that's the biggest thing with this movie. Going back and watching it now, it's like there's a lot of good things and a lot of things I like, but the CG has not aged well at all. And I mean, it's kind of lower budget. Like they're they're concealing okay with it being in darkness a lot. Yeah. But yeah, they're, they're when you really get to look at them, they're they're too angular or like low polygon count. Yeah, it looks like, uh, like you're running off the edge of your map in like uh, Red Dead Redemption type of thing. Like like the the detail is yeah. a little low. Yeah, yeah. Um, there there I I swear that one shot though was in like every ad for this movie when the like sarcophagus guy blows the fire and then there's like twelve of them around him yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, like that beat specifically was just like. Oh, my brain has that in its memory, gotcha. <laughs> like, but I don't know from watching it or from just seeing ads yeah. like in the year 2000. No, I think it was the so. ads in the year 2000 because I had that same shot in my head and that was like the most clear daylight shot we have of that, of those creatures. Of of a bunch of those creatures. Yeah. yeah. To be, that being said, the shot where they do experiment on the dead one, where they take the flashlight and they put it on the dead one. Oh, that shot's actually pretty solid too. kind of burning. Yeah. yeah. That one's actually like pretty good. So, I mean, I guess, yeah, yeah. you got to remember it's 2000. The special effects aren't great. The special effects in this movie are like, we should, we should not like mistake it. Like supernova was like super low down quality. And this oh, sure. same year, same. Oh, and this cost way less. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this movie came out. Yeah, exactly. Way less. And this movie looks so much better. Like visual effects. Oh yeah, speaking. no, they they choose their sh- their shots a lot better, and and even like minor stuff, like just like two suns in the sky or whatever, and like uh, the crash scene. Actually, I didn't have issues with no, yeah. like the initial stuff where they're like flying through. There's an opening shot, the openings and everything. All of these movies, I, I don't know if you notice this, all these movies open with shots of the spaceship flying across the camera. <laughs> yeah, we gotta gotta get a nice look at being in space for a second. Oh no, it happens we... in every single like it happens on life. It happens in sunshine. Happens in this movie. Happens in supernova. Does it happen in the earlier ones? It doesn't happen in Ghost of Mars because we're not really in space in Ghost of Mars. And does it? Ha- it doesn't happen in Pandorum. No, there's like a train. It does something. happen yeah. in Pandorum though. 
It does happen in Penn. No, yeah. No, they, they milk that shot because yeah. it's important to make you think there we're hanging yeah, out that's right. in so outer in, space. In all of these movies, there's a sh- the movie typically opens with like very Star Wars style. Oh, here's a spaceship crawling across the camera, right? Or, or alien style. Yeah. Here's the spaceship crawling across the camera. Uh, this movie does that. And it looks so much better than Supernovas. Supernovas was like, this looks terrible. This one looked good. Like, this one looked solid. Oh, I mean, I watched it in the same way, like the HD rental on YouTube on our new TV. And I did not have that weird, like, frame rate problem. HDR, like, yeah, the frame rate y looking kind of disorientation. I bet there's a better, (laughs) just. I bet there's a way a better, better upload of this. Yes, I think they've done a lot more Supernova. care in upscaling, upscaling this to 4K than Supernova. So you're probably watching an upscaled Supernova and probably a pure right. 4K. Yeah, I get the sense David Tui cares about this and uh, Thomas Lee just didn't. Man, this is know? all that David Tui does now. Like, like kind of yeah, I was I was surprised he hasn't really done anything in the last eight years, like since the last one of these. Exactly, like he know? and even between. Like all these movies, he did two films, uh, and both of them kind of like weren't well, uh, like were okay. I, I was kind of intrigued by one of them. It sounded like sort of a murder mystery movie. So that was there, just like which one? I had no idea this happened. The Below or uh, A Perfect Getaway? A Perfect Getaway. Okay. I'd never read the synopsis of that, and I was just like, that could be a fun movie. Well, I, don't I was. Know. I, I'm in the exact same boat, Nathan. Where like. Right now in my life, I'm like, oh, I kind of want to watch David Tui films right now because I kind of want to watch Arrival uh, after I'm watching the Riddick films. And I was like, yeah. oh, man, A Perfect Getaway has a pretty s- solid cast. Like, it's got, like, Timothy Oliphant, Mila Jovovich, Steve Zahn, a really yeah. young, like, on the cusp of becoming huge Chris, Chris Hemsworth. Mm-hmm. So, oh really? Okay. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm coming off like a decent uh, Steve Zahn experience. I just watched Joyride again. <laughs> yeah, Joyride. So, that's a good movie, man. John Dahl. I, I, it's a weird one though, because like I forget the last act. Like my brain won't hold on to it. Yeah, it's like me. So and, um, it's like me and Negotiator, where like I've watched the Negotiator probably about five or six times. I can't remember how that movie resolves any single time. Yeah. So um, there's that, I guess. It's rewatchable because my brain just can't grip it. Have you watched Below? Have you watched Below, like that weird ghost the submarine movie? movie? Yeah. I did. I was kind of underwhelmed by it. I might have owned it at one point. Okay. I don't know if I kept it. It has like but, two people in there. Yeah. Like, it has Dexter Fletcher in it and Holt McCallany. Okay. Holt McCallany is the guy oh, from uh, yeah, our favorite from Mindhunter. Yeah. yeah. And then Dexter and then Fletcher. And the guy who went on to direct stuff well. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know yeah. how his acting Because you're, you're, Dexter was a, yeah, he's a, he was an actor first, but then he went to go and do like Eddie the Eagle and, and Sunshine on Leaf and Rocket Man. Yeah. So. Uh, did you like, wait, I know you like Dexter Fletcher, but because you like uh, uh, Rocket Man. I like Rocket Man. Man quite a bit. But yeah. did you like, have you seen Sunshine on Leaf? I have not. Okay. No. Did you like Eddie? It's the... also a band biopic. You said right. Uh, it's no, no. It's a it's a musical that only uses one band's music for its musical. Oh. Okay. And it's, but uh, it's not about that band. No, it's not about that band. But it's it's it takes place in the city Edinburgh where the band is from. So that's why they use the band's oh. music. Um, okay. It's it's solid. I like it. It's just yeah. Um, did you did you like Eddie the Eagle though? I haven't seen it. We we talked about how I was so like miffed that it wasn't shot here. So I I kind of was grudgy okay. about it for okay. some reason. Yeah, that's right. Story set in Calgary should be filmed here, man. You know, like the Predator. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
That was always a Canadian tale. Yeah, <laughs> it was always uh, a Canadian anyway. tale. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, David Tui, uh I'm kind of into his stuff right now. I kind of want to keep watching it. Yeah, the big one for me is always the arrival. Uh, Ebert kind of backhanded. Like, he didn't really like this movie and says it's no arrival, which is like, well, I mean, it's a totally different thing, but okay. Like, I agree with you. Uh, <laughs> I agree but, with you. You know. Uh, yeah. Well, I, lo- I love a weird conspiracy movie. Like, they that movie was so funny to me. I, th- I thought it was really entertaining. Yeah, the arrival was like the best it. way to describe it to people, because you and I watched it for the first time together. We watched it with a really well, terrible I'd, I'd movie. I'd seen it myself before. Okay. But yeah. But okay, I yeah. guess I watched it for the first time with you. But we watched it in this really weird double feature night where we watched The Relic in it. Oh, And no. The Relic was like... So, c- contrasting to that, it'll seem so good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But The Relic is like one of those movies where it's like, oh, if you hear the premise of the film, you're like, this is great. Why isn't this movie terrible? Slam dunk. And it's because yeah. it's Peter Himes again. Like, the Peter Himes directed that movie. So, it's like... Yeah. Oh, that's why Peter Himes directed the most it. blown dunks in <laughs> film history. Yeah, the brick, <laughs> the brick director, right? Yeah. Um, anyways, he, uh, we watched that, and then we watched it. I, the best way I can describe the arrival is like uh, a super episode of X Files if we only follow, followed uh, Mulder around, and there was no Scully. <laughs> And he just unearths, like, no, it's 100% going on exactly like you think, yeah. and it's worse, actually. Yeah, that's what I mean, yeah. but it's like... And, that's and don't what, trust to be Ron fair, Silver. That is the that is X-Files. Like, there is an alien conspiracy in X-Files. It's just, like, yeah. Scully's the one holding back Mulder from figuring out the truth. What if Mulder was And just... it takes seasons and seasons to unearth anything. Yeah, so it's like... Whereas what if... this is just like, hey, we got two hours. By the end of this, we're, like, punching an alien in the face. Yeah, you know, exactly. like, we gotta get there. But the problem yeah. is, I mean, like... My biggest issue with that movie is always going to be this. It is like Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen is at the center of this movie. He's just yeah. not a charismatic enough of an actor to ever carry anything. Sick goatee, though. In that. He has like, a dead goatee. Yeah, he has definitely has yeah. a dead goatee in that movie. Covering up his... Uh, uh, anyways. Yeah, I love that movie. I know. Though. But any, anyway. David Tui. But yeah. um, the one thing I actually wanted to talk to you about, and I mentioned it before, uh, he has his, his first directorial debut is like actually super difficult to find. Like it's called Grand Tour Disaster in Time. It oh, has, it's, or it's called Timescape. No matter who, depending on. Yeah, where I you was are. I was seeing Timescape on his list of stuff, and I was like, oh, no. But it's like it actual release title is Grand Tour Disaster in Time. If you go to IMDb, it that's what it's called. It's also known <laughs> as Timescape. Anyways, oh boy, it's good. Well, like that's decent, unmarketable. It's yeah. decent reviews. It's like a family friendly movie starring Jeff Daniels. And the oldest kid in Jurassic Park, the computer whiz. Oh, she's weird. In it. Okay, and yeah. like people really like it, but like it's you can't f- if you can find it on DVD, it's likely full screen, non anamorphic, and you'll never be able to find it on anything else. And even then, it's like maybe one run in Germany they released it. Like it's you go on anywhere online, and it's like there's a VHS copy somebody uploaded to YouTube. It's almost like our Red Rock West situation. But even Red Rock West is still easier to come by than this movie. Like weird, yeah. Anyways, I'll have to look into my laserdisc situation. Maybe that actually, I actually, I was going to ask you about this because I bet you you could probably find it on laserdisc. Yeah, it seems the era that would be ripe for a release on laser. So we'll see. But uh, yeah, David Tui. Um, what, what else to, oh, okay. We, we briefly alluded to them changing some fates around at the end of this story. Uh, the big one is our heroic protagonist pilot, Carolyn, 
she stands by her new values and says, no, I'm not going to leave this planet without rescuing Keith David and So Jack. what happens is uh, they they get to this point where they can't carry the batteries anymore. They're running out of light. Riddick's, like makes them go hide in a cave, and then he completely abandons them because he can he can carry these batteries to this ship to make it go and everything like that. And, and he's a pilot, so he can just leave. Yeah, so yeah. He, he's about to abandon them all. And she's like, no, I can't abandon Jack, and I can't abandon uh, Keith David. And so she's like runs after him. And like demands that she come, he come back and help him. And he he's like, here's the thing, I was awake during cryo's sleep. I know that you tried to kill us. Like I know that you were gonna th- you were gonna pull the lever to kill us all. So why don't you just come with me? Don't worry about those people, whatever. And that's when like yeah, she has this big huge sh- shift in her character, and she's like, no, I'm if I if we're not leaving until they come with us. She stands up to Riddick, and it like impresses Riddick that she's oh. John's is kind of a jerk about that too, because he knows that happened too, and like pulls that card when they're all arguing in the dark, yes. and like kind of outs her to the group as this traitor. Well, at this point, John's and, has also yeah. been outed because he what, isn't a sheriff or marshal. He's like actually just a bounty hunter. No, he's just an out for profit mercenary. Yeah, he's yeah. lying to Riddick about like letting him go free to use him so he can get like his muscle. And then he's going to kill him or, like, re-arrest him. Or trade, like, he's just going to, like, knock him out and turn him in yeah. for the bounty or whatever. Uh, and he's, yeah. like, a drug addict himself type of thing. Yeah, he keeps injecting something into his eye. I think it's morphine, but I joked that it's hazen because uh, we didn't really get the payoff we needed in Supernova yeah. for future drugs. Uh, but, but yeah. Um, John's gets stabbed by one of the monsters, so we don't have to worry about him past a certain point. Yes. I forgot what happened to him, because I swear they allude to him, and he might even be in one of the games, uh, but that, that might be a prequel. Uh, it must be, I guess, at this point. Um, but anyway. Well, no, so, uh, this is, like, I think, yeah, Escape from Butcher Bay is a prequel. Like, it's, To all of this? I think so. Yeah. because, uh, yeah, the way that this set up is that Riddick... After this, right after this, he goes and he goes into isolation for five years on this ice planet, because right. and the only person in the in the whole universe he tells that where he is um, is Keith David's character. So okay. and that's what sets up the whole story of so he, yeah clearly Butcher Bay happened pre uh, Pitch Black events happened. Right, because so. then after this he's like ruler of the. Yeah, the necromancers. Uh, um, necromancers yeah, because yeah. the movie implies that Johns has been chasing him like for years now, type of thing, and catching right. him. And yeah, he's him. always on his tail, yeah. like yeah, just like a marshal so, in space or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, uh, some fun. So yeah, a fun small connection yeah. between the two of them. Uh, obviously, Vin Diesel, very big part of the Fast and Furious franchise. Yeah, the marshal character Johns is the villain. Cole Hauser. Yeah, Cole Hauser. He's the villain in uh, Too Fast, Too Furious. Oh, oh no! He's the guy with the rat yeah. bucket. Yeah, the rat. Bucket. Okay, what a jerk that guy. <laughs> Cole Hauser <laughs> plays a really big jerk. Yeah, he can play it better than yeah. a lot. So, anyways, so yeah, but that's not their concern at this point. It's just the the monsters. Do they do they give them a catchy nickname? No, uh, I don't think so. Yeah, they just the you know you don't don't stand in the dark. Yes, <laughs> those things will get you. Uh, but yeah, so Carolyn goes back, uh, insists insists Riddick help them. She manages to win that argument, I guess. Uh, but then Riddick gets trapped by the two. We were saying he kind of finds their dead zone or whatever, so he's hiding right in front of one. Yeah. But then a second one comes, so he's he's in a bad way. 
Uh, he manages to fight them with his blade, and kills but them. he's badly hurt. He's badly yeah. Hurt. yeah. And then uh, Carolyn goes back to rescue him, but in so doing, she gets grabbed and totally dies. Yes. Uh, which I think was supposed to be Riddick's fate, right? Yeah, it sounds like, like at a. It sounds like from what what we're reading when we're looking at this movie, making this movie, that like on set, uh, David Tui and Vin Diesel became very intrigued by this character and like how it could like go on to become like a big franchise. So they did in the last second swap out like. Carolyn now is the dead person at, in the third act, right. and Riddick survives to go on to be a big franchise hit. Like earlier in its development, it sounds like the Riddick character was actually going to be this like tribal woman with like tattoos and stuff, and she was going to be the main character. Yeah, but they changed they gender changed that character to be Richard. Yes. Uh, so a lot of switching around, but. You know, hey, she made good on almost killing everybody at the beginning of the movie. Uh, she went back and saved whoever she could. Uh, so she died a hero, and, and that's great. Uh, but then, oh, man. But then Riddick does this thing where I oh, I don't think I like this moment. He, like, lets the creatures swarm all over the ship, and Jack is just like, what are you doing? Why don't we go? It's like, can't leave yet. Without saying goodnight, so and then he lights up the engines. Like that wasn't worth it. The worst that was yeah. so dumb. The worst part of it too <laughs> was like uh, when we first get introduced to the ship. There's clearly some kind of like skin over top of the body of the ship that like the protects wings. it, and it's like yeah. flapping in the wind. And you're like, these creatures. This is a fragile little ship yeah, right here. <laughs> these creatures like sliced up human bodies with their wings. You, you, yeah. you're, you're just gonna run them over like what's gonna happen like nothing like bad no, things no it's like when a, when a plane hits like a bird it's a problem <laughs> yeah. and he just hit like 12 12 foot monsters oh, I think he hit more than 12 <laughs> it was definitely in the dozens situation he's just bashing these yeah. things with the ship it's like I don't like, know like I get the I get that. the like, if he doing? was like in my mind, like the perfect situation would be, it wouldn't be climbing on the front, it would because you'd have lights on the front. It'd be like they're climbing yeah. on the back, and then he hits the gas, and then the big like blue flames light them up, rather than him right. hitting them as he. And flies it's more forward. so the light that's doing it than just the. And like fiery yeah, because engines. like whatever we can establish that they they get attracted. Like maybe he puts the big spots lights on the front, so there's nothing in front of them. But then he hits the gas full fledged, and then like all the flames burn them from behind. That would have made yeah. sense, but no, he's flying into them, like hitting them yeah, as he goes. Yeah, they go for this kind of like badass moment, but it was just kind of a groan. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't super. It did not make it. any sense to the movie, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so those three managed to get off the planet, and that's it. Like they just kind of fly up into, like, you know, the rings of the neighboring planets or whatever and go to credits. Yeah. Like they just kind of leave those characters having escaped and that's all we all we know um which i think is where that dark fury story comes in right uh, like, i think so i'm looking into it right now and yeah dark fury no dark fury takes place after uh yeah actually i can't tell you well i like their their whole thing is like this little ship won't be able to like get us anywhere but if we can get into a major shipping lane hopefully we'll be rescued yeah like so that's his logic kind of a, type of thing yeah yeah um yeah his logic is like once he gets up there they find the major like we'll, we'll hitch a ride situation yeah and, chronicles, and I'll, I'll pretend riddick is dead and i'll just be somebody else yeah chronicles you know? kind of sh like shows that they all three of them survive to go on to do other things Type of thing. Right, so, so successful plan. Yeah. 
Um, and yeah, that's the end of uh, Pitch Black from the year 2000. Uh, do you want to we'll award some MVPs? I can go first. Yeah. If, if. Uh, I ended up, despite all the changes that happened, I had no knowledge of like the Wheat Brothers yeah. <laughs> prior to watching this. I didn't. I fully thought David Tui and Vin Diesel like created all of this. Okay. So to hear that there was like, no, there's these two brothers who totally directed like the second Ewok TV movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, they they went on to write and create this thing. And something about just like going for an original sci-fi universe is just like, I don't know. I applaud that effort. You know, there's like a bold move. There's something about the era in which they were working that tells me that this script was probably from like the late eighties, early nineties though. And then just updated by David Tuhi. Sure. Sure. But like, I still dig just going for now. There's just space mercenaries and new weird shine (laughs) jobs and whatever. Like that's, that's funny. The wheat brothers resume too. Oh man. They're wheat brothers. Like, okay, I'm just going to go through this. They're, they're both one person on the Nightmare on Elm Street Four, the Dream Master screenplay. It's called Scott Pierce. So like they're oh, they're they writing just James. Used a pseudonym. Yeah, they just use a pseudonym, okay. but they're one person, Scott Pierce. To be fair, I actually like Dream Master. Dream Master is kind of a fun movie. Yeah, you've you've highlighted it as a good one. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But then they also created two of the most unnecessary sequels of all time. Um, what? They did the Fly Two. Okay, which I own, and I'm super intrigued about why that exists. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And The Birds 2. Ooh, nice. With, like, that, that <laughs> bad early 90s t- TV movie sequel. Yeah. Sequel yeah. to one of the greatest. And even, like, here's the thing. Rick Rosenthal made this movie who did, like, Halloween 2. And he did Halloween 2 and then the worst-received Halloween movie of all time, which is Halloween Resurrection. Um, oh, the reality show. But one. he hated this movie yeah. so much that he went as an Alan Smythe, which we talked about last Ooh. week's episode. Um, wow. Okay. Was Birds Two? He went by Alan Smythe for that. Yeah. And then he. They also did and a movie yeah. called It Came from Outer Space Two. Like again, another unnecessary sequel that they worked on. I don't know. I was kind of digging the the list of nonsense they put together, but I think they might have just like taken their character created by credit and cashed in on Riddick because yes. this is like the last thing they ever did. No, yeah, they're so. not. The only thing they're connected to going forward is uh, more like Riddick related things. Riddick related like characters created by the Wheat Brothers yeah. kind of thing. So I t- I just tip my hat to them coming up with dopey sci fi stuff. Uh, I like that business. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, I just didn't know they they had a hand in any of this, so it's uh, that's who I went with this time. Well, so Ken and Jim, o- so opposite thanks. side of the same kind of concept. I'm just giving yeah. all my MVPness to David Tui because <laughs> for fixing their like when I look ideas. at when I look at the, what the Wheat Brothers created, I'm like, I don't think Pitch Black would have survived as a movie. Like, actually, been something that we're talking about to this day in positive ways, or with this cool tribal lady, or created. <laughs> Or created uh, two sequels that are intriguing. Um, David Tui showed up, and he's the guy that's kind of responsible for this. David Tui's just a guy that, like, he's a person that I I want so many good things from. But, like, I don't know. Like, he just, he gets caught up. It's like Alex Proyas. Like, he reminds me of Alex Proyas as a guy who's, like, has so much potential for making amazing, great films. But then continues to, like, not make amazing, great films or slums it somehow. 
I guess so, yeah. Like, okay. Like, there's some high watermarks, but at the same time, like, they're not getting the big gigs that you think they deserve. Well, even, like, Alex Perea is, like, who, like, who, just for people's context, he made uh, The Crow and Dark City and Knowing. Right. Those are three great movies that we like. He also, though, Mm -hmm. made iRobot, which is, like, a nothing film. And uh, most recently, Gods of Egypt. Which I was not going to say, I was not going to, I was going to use this as a different thing because I think Gods of Egypt is one of those movies, like Battlefield Earth, which will go down as like, this is so bad, it's it's good. It's pretty incredible. I was watching some clips from it again in recent days. Uh, Yeah, man, Jeffrey Rush is just flying around the earth on his chariot or something. Here's the thing, (laughs) no man, like crazy. uh, As like, as a... A Christian who has a theology degree, I'm going to tell you right now, everything he did with Jeffrey Rush's character in that movie is like mm-hmm. deeply seated in Egyptian, uh, Macedonian, um, Babylonian myth, like mythology theology. Yeah, he's bringing mythology to like hundred millions of dollars project. Yeah, he's on literally the screen, like, and you're just like, all, what? All day what long, is Ra is like just like there's a behemoth chaos monster that he's putting at bay and raising the sun every day, and you're just like. This is literally all of the ancient mythology theology wrapped up. Like this is this is the behemoth. Like you know the behemoth in in uh, in Job, right? I I always picture it as like a giant dinosaur yeah. or something. But you know, but, but you know the it's like, no, it is the darkness. Yeah, it something. is chaos. That's what it is. That monster yeah. that Alex Perez puts on the screen is. The behemoth, like that's the his representation of the behemoth. But this is like cosmic maw yeah. that is trying to eat everything, and, unless and raw smashes his it. chest, yeah. and then he like fights them every single night. It's oh, oh man. man, it's there. It's so dumb because it stars like Gerard Butler as an Egyptian. Like it's so many terrible choices were made about this movie. Uh, yeah, but like there's so many terribly great, wonderfully bad things in that film. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, no, it something. is. It came out in 2014, which is a little too late to to be whitewashing every single person in that film. I don't think there's a oh, single. I think it's 16. It's after yeah. Mad Max. So I don't even think yeah. there's a single. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's. Which isn't him. I'm just saying they used a lot of the same like area yes. to film it in yeah, yeah, or something. Yeah. It was this weird. I don't think there's a single Egyptian main character in that movie. I think every single person has been whitewashed <laughs> in some way. Yeah, it's uh, it's a movie. Yep. Um, yeah, I hope I hope uh, you know David Tui gets to re- realize some big budget weirdness for us yeah, like, one I, more time you know there's um there's a a proof like there's a script for the next riddick film called fury furia which is like riddick going and finding his roots type of thing on his home planet i'm like mm-hmm. i want that movie to be made like i think there's there's still potential to this riddick character i don't think we've found the full potential of him yet so okay but david Tui. i mean you kind of just ate my question I had, which was just how would we feel about another Riddick movie at this juncture? Oh. Which I guess we're interested. Yes, but I want to. Okay. I want a fourth. I don't want any. I, actually, that's not true. I want the Fast and Furious movies to end so I can get more like triple X films, so I can get more Riddick films. <laughs> okay, get some Babylon eighty two. You know, sure. <laughs> Last Witch Hunter two. Last Witch Hunter two. Like Vin's got to get back to his real project. Yeah, Iron Iron. I love how nerdy his projects are. Like he's very genuinely like a video game dork in a well, way. Like the one you of know? the notes was like uh, that he played Dungeons and Dragons between takes on Chronicles of Riddick with Curl. Yeah, Irvin, right? no, he's he's deep in uh, real nerd culture. Yeah. And then 
is involved in like the video game process. Like he owns his own company, Tygon, and everything. Yeah. That's like part of the video game development yeah. and everything. Like and he was in the Wheelman. Yeah. yeah, he's like genuinely yeah. a giant nerd who turned uh, into a giant action star, and was yeah. like, "Oh man, I can like not only." like make my own video games but be the star like the action hero in all these things too and right i i guess that's why i just feel like the riddick character is the most in sync with like that side of vin diesel <laughs> like he brings more of that to this I know. So universe the, you know the question i had for you was like i mean like who do you think would win between like a fight between dom toretto and uh richard bead riddick <laughs> Well, is stealth involved? Or it doesn't just, matter. Like, like the absurd yeah, rules. It would just be like it would just be like pure. It's like a, a it's like a conversation. Like the things I've seen Dom survive, though, yes. I'm not sure any person well, can. You, stop what was him. the last? What was the last movie you saw? The last, whatever one. No, it was actually six. Whichever one it is, where he like catches a person yes. and like lands on. He a catches car. Letty. Yeah, he catches Letty and and does a like midair catch. He like it's launches like, his. Car. Oh, good! That solid piece of metal broke my fall. <laughs> but then, <laughs> you Nathan, know? you don't even know what comes up. Like that's the thing. Like literally speaking, okay. Furious Seven has him uh, fighting Jason Statham on a parkade that is starting to crack, and he has a giant stomp. That is like the thing that makes it then all fall apart. Like a giant foot stomp from him. <laughs> That's like a Hulk move yeah. or something. And then in this newest yeah. one, F9, he has this scene because uh, The Rock has this ludicrous scene in, in Hobbs and Shaw where Hobbs is driving this truck and there's this giant chain that's latched onto this Tomahawk helicopter. But the chain's starting to come loose. So Rock has to go on the back, hold on to one end of the chain on the truck, and then hold on to the other end of the chain on the Tomahawk helicopter as they try to pull in opposite directions. And he's able mm-hmm. to Superman strength this whole thing, which is like actually ludicrous because yeah. this is a Tomahawk helicopter. Like this is – like it's not just like a little tiny like one. Like Spider-Man would have trouble dealing with that. Captain America yeah. did it in Civil War and it was a tiny helicopter against a, a standing still building rather than two things going opposite directions. Anyways, so the rock, I mean, clearly Vin Diesel saw this happening. And so he's like, I got to have like a feat of strength in F9. Bigger. And so there's the scene where he like, (laughs) he's like, they're running away from, from bad guys. And he's like, he lets them go. And he's like, go without me type of situation. And there's this chain that's attached to the cement ceiling. And all he does is pull down on these chains and brings down the entire ceiling on top of them all. And he survives, Mm -hmm. but he pulls down an entire cement ceiling himself like a good samson moment like it's nuts i was about to allude to samson yeah that sounds like Samson. no it's it's uh, i don't even know like I, I if you told me like fast five fast six i'd be like yeah no riddick would win because riddick has all these skills all these superpowers dom is now pretty good with like a blade or whatever but like, dom is is you know. superhuman like he is indestructible he walks away from all these movies without a scratch too like whereas yeah we saw riddick get cut up pretty bad yeah. at the end of this one so yeah, you probably have to give it to the more absurd of the franchises somehow, despite this being like a sci-fi universe with like ghost monsters and everything. <laughs> like, yeah. Yep. Oh, no, man. you got to give it to the Dom, who is just, uh, yeah, I thought about it and I was like, no, there's no way that Dom doesn't win. Like Dom has to win because of family. No, well, yeah, it's like this is like a grounded sci-fi universe versus like an over-the-top earthbound Like an <laughs> over-the-top universe. grounded universe type of thing, yeah. It's yeah, yeah. Uh, Dom and his family. He'd probably give Riddick a, a speech about family, and then it, and then he would he wouldn't kill him. He would just adopt him into the family. Well, 
the, yeah, that's over. the thing too, because Riddick is like a lone wolf kind of guy. Yeah. So, but so is, he'd have to but take you on don't, all these you people. Don't, you haven't seen the new one, Jake, Jake Tr- Jacob Toretto, who is John Cena, is also like a lone wolf type of guy, but he he gets one over to okay. back to the Toretto family. Oh, so you're saying he joined forces yeah. with himself. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So we didn't really get into it, but there's the badass shaving moment with the yeah, grease. There is that a badass sa- shaving moment where with the grease. He creates his yep. own shaving device. That is a moment that happens in this movie. Yep. He has to be okay. bolder than he is. I got a question yeah. for you then, okay? If that's cool. Yeah. I think I've asked you this question before, but I, I want to have an updated version of it for you. If you were to take okay. one actor, uh, and uh, who, like, if you took one actor and you said, like, who would have this, the most o- overpowered group, like, army if they took all their characters and, like, they turned into, like, an army? Oh. Oh, man. Like, uh, I'm trying to think who plays the most, like, super people or whatever. Yeah, like, Ryan Reynolds has, like, a billion, and so does, like... Like, Will Smith came to mind for some yeah, reason. Will Smith has a bunch. Hancock yeah. and, like, Agent J. Yeah. Well, and, like, even, like, when he actually played superheroes, like, Deadshot. And Muhammad Ali, dude, the champ, yeah. you know? Uh, <laughs> I would put out Vin Diesel. He hasn't played a lot, but, like, in his list, he has... He's Oh, but he's got this weird witch hunter. No, but he's got, like, he's got Riddick, person. he's got Dom, and he's got Xander Cage. He also has mm-hmm. the Iron Giant, and he's got Groot. That's true. And those are, like, good high marquee stuff. And then he's also playing super people in dumb movies that we don't really care exactly. about. Exactly. That's but, what I'm saying. Like, I think yeah. if there was a team of people that would, like, if you're, if all your characters could become a superhero team, which would be the most powerful team, I think Vin Diesel probably takes the cake. Okay. The Rock was another one that people talked about, but I was like, even The Rock, I would still take Vin Diesel over The Rock. Not as like a has he not played as an like actor, but like as true super people, you know, like him in a suit type of thing. Yeah, no, Dom is the closest thing, I think. Okay, what's his deal in the Tooth Fairy? He's got like magic. Oh, powers. we talk about the Rock. The Rock. Uh, yeah, he plays. Yeah. yeah, he's gonna play. He's going to play Black Adam, which is like a Shazam, Captain Marvel type character. Uh, okay, which is like a Superman type character. No, like, he just plays, like, Hobbs is just a, another one of those OG, like, you remember watching... Yeah, now I'm thinking of, like, Mark Strong, because he's played a lot of super villains, but I they all, fail, they all fail, so I don't know that, like, his Sinestro or, like, Dr. Savara or whatever, like, will those be able to team up with each other? Like, so traditionally, you know? people, like, people say, like, um, uh, like, Harrison Ford, who has Indiana Jones and Han Solo under his, like, belt type of thing. Right. Um, like, that's a big one that people often say. Stuff like that. But if you're dealing with, like, a terrestrial problem or something, maybe. Chris Evans but... is a big one because he's been in so many superhero movies. Like, he's been in so many superhero movies. Well, like, Human Torch and Captain America? The Losers. Or is there another one? The Losers, TMNT. Oh, sure. Uh, I forgot about The Losers. Yeah. But, yeah. TMNT, he was in. He was Casey Jones in the animated uh, Turtles film. Okay. So... And wasn't he in some like weird standalone like pulse or something? What was that? Or there there was something where Push. he has like psychic powers. Push. Push. Yeah. Also yeah. also a comic book movie. Anyways. Anyways, yeah, it's just an interesting question. I, I think I I think I've just like I came up and I was like, "Oh, it's got to be Vin Diesel now." Because like cuz all like we just saw two movies in the last like 3 years where Iron Giant is like a big character that we want on our team. You want Iron Giant on your team in Ready Player 1. Apparently, yeah. 
like the hindsight on that movie like that movie didn't do well in its time and i don't think warner did right by it no. but now they're kind of trying to make up for it yes. i guess well because i think a generation yeah. of kids grew up being like oh that movie is kind of great and brad that movie is actually pretty great and brad yeah, bird yeah. like left warners because disney was like sorry we're wrong and gave him a blank check to make whatever he wanted mm-hmm. so anyways i don't know how that went off track but yeah vin diesel Definitely, I think, has the greatest super suit. So, like a serious if anybody out there listening to us has any other different ideas, hey, great, great, great conversation to have because, yeah, I would love to see your uh, super. I'm going to stick with Will Smith just from the ones I could think of at the time. Sure. But he does have Hancock yeah. on his list, which is a very powerful character. Weirdly powerful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, but okay. Uh, that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. Uh, as we said, if you want to like send us your ideas for that question or anything else, you can email ryanokvideo.ca or nathanokvideo.ca, uh, as well as tweeting at okvideopodcast. Uh, next week is Alien Resurrection, which I'm pretty excited about. Uh, is directed by Jean-Pierre Junet, you know, art house master, uh, <laughs> and written by Joss Whedon. Um, who made superhero films later and Buffy during this time, right? Yeah, like and somebody we uh, will will probably end up taking a lot of our Yeah, he's gotten real problematic in the years since, but uh, he, uh, no, a lot of his problem problems have come to the surface. He's been always problematic. Oh, this was already going on, yes. man. Anyways, but hey, let's fo- let's focus on Sigourney and Weona having a great time yeah. uh, in outer space. Until then, I'm Nathan. And I'm Ryan. Bye bye for now.